Broadcasting from the heart of commie-controlled America, the no-bullshit bearer of doom and gloom, opium-free broadcast, the most important hour of your day. All right, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. This is the Red Pill Project. It's a daily dose live with you Monday through Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Thursdays, 8 p.m. on Tuesdays. This is where we bring you the unfolding global conspiracy <clears throat> communism coming to the america uh, to the united states of america the usurping of the united states constitution the infiltration of the various organizations and domains of our society and uh, we're seeing it in full force right now people information warfare is in full effect psychological operation campaigns are happening it's being done digitally it's being done in your homes it's being done through your tv and tonight we got a great conversation for you a great show tonight we're gonna be talking about information warfare with this gentleman here, I don't know if he wants me to use his name. I'll use his, I'll use Black Sheep Seven. That's his Twitter handle. <clears throat> One Black Sheep Seven. One Black Sheep Seven. There you go. And he's a U.S. Army veteran, served just about eleven years in the United States Army. He has a master's degree in emergency management, and he has a Substack that has been out there talking about a lot of the information warfare that's happening on our side of the house. This is in the conservative, the MAGA, the truth realm, this whole aspect that there is this continuity of government plan that was engaged before Donald Trump left, that devolution occurred, that we're under the law of war and we're not under the Constitution. And this happens to be a gentleman who has a master's degree in education on this stuff, who knows a heck of a lot about it, more than I and more than anybody else out there talking about it as well as served in the military, and we're going to talk about this tonight. And so, you know, we met because of Derek, right? Yeah, we, we sure we, did. We met because of this guy, Derek Johnson, who is out there putting some absolute banana comments out there about uh, military customs, ritual ceremonies, about how the law of war manual works, because he's military, he knows. I mean, what, what, did, what did he serve? Two and a half years maximum? Uh, 18 months. 18 months. Yeah. So if you, if you go to so back in the day when he was on LinkedIn, uh, you know he changed stuff on LinkedIn. But uh, back in the day, he had it from February 2013 to November of 2014, and so uh, that's how it was. That's how his resume showed because he had his resume on LinkedIn at the time, uh, and then he went in, took off his resume, and changed it to 25 months, basically, or 29 months, two years five months. So, so let me ask you a question because I was Navy. So for me, my schooling was about 18 and a half months around there, a little bit more. So was he even out of AIT and his schooling at that time? Well, that, that's, that's a really good question. Unless he shows his DD-214, there's no way to really know. Because right. the thing is, is uh, basic training is, uh, you know, he, go, he's, he was probably at basic training for 10, uh, 10 weeks. And then did a, and then his his MOS of fourteen Sierra, first off is only National Guard. Okay, mm -hmm. on the active duty side, it's fourteen Papa or fourteen P. That's an active duty equivalent to the National Guard's version. Okay, and so for him to say that he went to NT, the National Training Center out in Fort Irwin, like come on, nine thousand people are are there and six thousand five hundred of them rotate you know, due to the training. 
it's like, okay, his MO, his MOS training is only 10 weeks to begin with anyways. Yeah. So that puts him at 20 weeks. You know, where's the other time? You know what got me is I, I started doing some research on this guy when um, a lot of things started to come up and I started questioning because there was devolution theory and then there was Derek Johnson. And I had already kind of wrote a few topics on devolution theory, investigated it very thoroughly um, and said, okay, this is just not, I'm not even going to bother to go out there, you know, let, let people figure this out themselves. And then Derek came out and I started hearing nonsense. And so I started investigating them and there's some old, old articles out there. One's on uh, al.com, which is alabama.com that talks about how he was the first wounded warrior on the country billboards top 10. And I said, I'm sorry, my dog. Oh, no, you're fine. I was like, Wait, what is this? So I went to his LinkedIn profile and in the cached profiles on, on Google, it said he was the first wounded warrior to reach the billboards top 10. And I'm like, he, this guy was in less than two and a half years. I'm like, obviously less than 18 months. Now he never saw combat. So how was he a wounded warrior? And I'm like, that's stolen valor. So that's when I really started investigating this. Well, so unless he was assigned to a WTU unit and he got injured in service and in AIT or something, uh, he wouldn't stay on active duty. He would have got released and then got sent back to his place, right? Because yeah. he, he was a National Guard. You can tell that by his MOS. Uh, you know, so... For him to say that he was wounded warrior, he was probably put into a WTU unit and med boarded out, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And here's actually one of the articles. This is on thecountrynote.com, getting to know Derek Johnson from July 3rd, 2020. And the father, Army veteran, wounded warrior, right there. The only wounded warrior to ever chart on the Billboard Top 50. I, yeah, I mean, them calling him a wounded warrior, anybody that's in that WTU unit is, is called a... a it's called a warrior transition unit, a WTU. And so, so, and they call everybody in that unit, a wounded warrior. Well, anyways, I, I look at this guy and I'm like, okay, there's some serious problems with him. So I start investigating this and I write a blog series about his original documents.info that he had out there and discredited. I mean, the foundation of his theory. I don't think there's any reason to go forth. If you can discredit the foundation of someone's theory. Right. If you have a theory and the foundation doesn't stick, nothing can stand on top of it. And nothing. I did that. And I noticed he's kind of upgraded it since. And uh, then all of a sudden he uh, I, I he started noticing me on Twitter for some reason. And that's fine. And I started calling him out for the three volley salute versus the 21 gun salute of which he obviously doesn't know the difference of. And for everybody out there in the Red Pill family, I will be releasing a about a 20 minute video later, completely demolishing everything that Derek Johnson says on this as per military regulations. And I, I hope that you guys check it out, share it, make sure that you tag Derek in it when you do share it, because it's well worth the watch to learn a little history about obviously the 21 gun salute, the three volley salute, what these things are and why they are different. But, you know, I, um, I, I don't know if you knew this, but I had Derek on, uh, I do another show on American media periscope. And uh, I, I posted a show, and Derek Johnson was the guest one night. It was me and my other friend, Mick, who is 23-year uh, U.S. Army veteran, 19 combat tours, uh, was a ranger, went the Delta, sniper. Um, wow. This is a great dude. And it's me, him, and Derek Johnson, and we're talking. We're, we're talking about – he's talking about Trump is still commander-in-chief. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on, dude. 
17 executive orders in the day Joe Biden came in the office, killing energy independence in the United States of America, stopping the border wall, basically exasperating the border crisis with illegal immigrants and probably potential enemies coming over, terrorists coming over. Um, then you have hyperinflation that stems from the energy crisis that he produced. You have the early withdrawal from Afghanistan that cost 13 American soldiers' lives plus countless other Americans' lives in Afghanistan. Um, you have the vaccine mandates that went throughout the military, even Space Force, that people were denied their religious exemptions. People had adverse effects, and some people even lost their lives. And I know one personally in my life that lost their life because of this. Started with a stroke, and then it ended with myocarditis, and they died. Mm -hmm. And so I, I said this, and he goes, oh, you guys, you, you veterans don't know. You guys are just fake veterans. You don't know what you're talking about. And, and Mick went off on him. I went off on him. And, and, like, I'm on a show on another channel, and I kind of have to be respectful to the guest. So I'm like, okay, we brought it down. Well, I had him on again unexpectedly. It was just me and him. And he goes, you know, these veterans that don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the rules, laws, and regulations. You know those veterans I'm talking about, right? Right? And he kept on just kind of doing the sarcasm that pointed towards me. And I'm like, you motherfucker. And so, you know, I've been out there. And every time I see him post, I make sure that I discredit his post and say this is bullshit. And it got to the point where he's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And so the 20-minute video is going to explain a lot of that. But and he tells that a lot. Like, you go on to uh, his Twitter feed, and he's constantly bashing veterans that don't agree with him. And he calls any veteran that is not uh, that doesn't agree with him uh, a non-veteran, and they should lose all of their, their benefits because they're a privilege and not a right. Like, the guy doesn't understand due process, first off, when it comes to disability in the VA. He doesn't even get 38 CFR or anything when it comes to those those laws and orders that he's talking about. But he just wants to sit there and revoke somebody's stuff without due process of law. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, you know, and that when he first started doing that, that's when I I, I got pissed off to the point. Well, I'm going to start calling you out because you're calling not just me, but every single person who served honorably. You're sitting there bashing us. Just because we don't agree with you, that's wrong. I, I, that's what I'm. That's why I'm doing this. I would honestly, I would rather just not even talk about it because mm -hmm. the, the people that are following that type of person cannot go out there and research and investigate and inquire for themselves. Um, you know that is entrained within them from youth. The reason why they can't go out there and use discernment and hypercritical analysis in information and discover for themselves, right? So, you know, I look at a lot of that as kind of a lost cause, but there's those people out there who are just misguided. And now I feel for them and I want to help to guide them and help to maybe, you know, show them in the right direction. So let's go over Derek's theory. So his theory, from what I got the gist of it, is that on January 20th, 2021, Donald Trump received a full um, inauguration at Joint Base Andrews. Joe Biden at Arlington received a full military honors, honors funeral, which originally he said was 13 cannons. Now he's saying 20, which has to be odd, uh, but it was 21. And he claims that that was a funeral because it was at Arlington. Uh, and he calls it the three volley salute, which is hyper incorrect. But he says that Biden was a funeral and that everything that we see is uh, actor casting. Is, is these actors that are in there playing, you're watching a movie, none of it's real, um, that Donald Trump is controlling everything from behind the scenes as commander-in-chief, and uh, 
you know, everything in Washington, D.C. is fake. All the deaths we're hearing about is all fake. None of this stuff is actually real. Um, and like I said, I take offense to this. I, my, my brother-in-law was a, a 11-year Air Force veteran. Okay? He went into the Air Force and lost his life because he was triple-vaxxed. Mm-hmm. Stroke, heart attack. Okay, I, I take this very, very personally. And so Derek has now since changed a lot of his documents and uh, a lot of the things that he talks about. I'm going to go ahead and bring this up. This is uh, the documents.info. And he, he puts it right here. Fact check this. Now, if you fact check it, just know that he's going to block you on Twitter. He's going to try to belittle you. He's going to gaslight you. And he's not going to answer any questions. He's going to say, you don't know how to read the the military regs are the laws, even though you're posting them in your comments. It's shown in black and white. That's right. All right. So that's kind of the gist that I got. And he's saying that the Constitution was suspended under Donald Trump. We went under continuity of government. The law of war came in because we have a belligerent occupation. 11.6 in the law of uh, war manual. Yeah, and it's that, actually the third one down, military occupancy. There it is. All right. Let, let's look at this. I got to actually re go in there and grab this. Okay. Military occupancy. Here we go. So, yep. so talk to me about this. He says, understand the law of war manual written in 2015, updated 2016, understanding the art of war, war. He goes on with just some. Yeah. So, he talks about the uniform code of military justice act and the just uh, the military justice act of 2016. Okay. Mm-hmm. On that first page, if you go to that first page, uh, it's the big paragraph right there, right in the middle. Okay. Um, but uh, he says in the fourth bullet down on his main page that that Military Justice Act was done by the Supreme Court, that they were the ones who wrote it and gave the go-ahead for it. Like, do does the Supreme Court, the judicial branch of the government, do they yeah. really uh, write law, or is it the legislative Congress that does you're right. The Supreme Court interprets constitutionality of law. It's the legislative branch of our government um, that writes law. And they are the only ones. And that what does the executive law. branch do? The, they the, enforce it. They enforce it. That's right. So and that's that's the difference there. And just just from that, he's flawed in his reasoning. It's like, can you go back to that that his page and pull up the fourth one? Because the fourth one is actually the one that I fact checked. Yeah, one second. Let me pull this up. I got it. No, you're fine. Actually, let me go in here. One, two, three, four. The whys in 2022. Is this what we're looking at? Uh, is that the yeah? Da, 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 da. The whys in 2022. Yeah, because that's the one that starts with this is for all veterans. Gotcha. Right, because he goes in and he, he gives his little introduction of how he, he swore to defend the Constitution of the United States. You know, and that and if and he even says it there, I, Derek Johnson, do solemnly swear. Do you, you see that? Right. Yep. <laughs> it's just it makes no sense. Like, you know, and I, I did a I did a, a little article about about that and how that you know on my website that i have uh talking about how we are supposed to uphold it and if it's if it's completely suspended then we're not defending that constitution we're going against our oath of office that we that we swore for 
So he, he, he lays out this blueprint, Law of War Manual, Donald John Trump, Escalator, Military Justice Act, Federal Continuity Directive 1 and 2, nine national emergencies, seven in executive orders, uh, federalization of National Guard. Let's just take it from the Law of War Manual. Explain to me what he's saying and why it's not correct. Law of War Manual is is to defend those people that are that, that's in a military occupancy. So that... that um, so when it comes to that, they're dealing with international humanitarian law and the rights of the citizens that have absolutely no um, that are that are non-combatants and how to protect them and how to make sure that that they're they're uh, they're protected and, and and held secure during the time during this conflict between the armed forces uh, that are there within the armed conflict. Right. <laughs> And, 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 you know, it, it, the thing is, is if people actually go out and read the beginning parts of the Law of War manual, I'm in the wrong one. I'm in the Law of War program. I want the Law of War. Yeah, it should have a blue cover. Yeah, it should have a blue cover. There we go. That's that's the bad boy I'm looking for. This guy right here. So yeah. if we go in here and it, people actually start reading this. It, well, it's they, how should... they go into 11.3. Because they bring in the Q stuff, and it's 11.3 where they start instead of reading the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So they don't even know what's in it. They just know from 11.3 up to 11.19 maybe. And they talk about how 11.3 is a belligerent occupation. 11.4 is how it's supposed to come, uh, what is it, if after the belligerent occupation and so forth and talking about how uh, all the things that come with that of how they can cap uh, prices and all these other things within their country. It's like, it's talking about what they can and cannot do, you know, but the right. entire thing's supposed to go, go hand in hand with the Geneva conventions that we swear to uphold and protect while we're there in right. any type of armed conflict. And a few points on this is that, each branch of the military has their different organizational principles in the sense of how they operate in theater during a time of war. The law of more manual is brought about to basically consolidate all of those branches into a usable documentation that the Pentagon commanders and lawyers could utilize to navigate the battlefield specifically. Mm-hmm. And this, it even says in here that, and I'm looking for that part specifically that this is basically not a body of law, but instead a guide. And that it, it is, should... Yeah. Control F and then type body of law. You should be able to find it. Uh, it was actually, what was it? It was uh, it said something of that nature. I'm just paraphrasing. I can't remember it specifically, but it was, it was, there was part in the forward and there was part down here. But basically what it said is that this should not be construed for regular legislative law that this does not replace any laws this was not passed by congress this is a collaboration work group that brought this together through laws passed by congress to basically navigate international uh, law of war which geneva conventions chemical biological warfare treaties nuclear treaties all these different aspects it has no legal jurisdiction I think people need to understand that no legal jurisdiction here in the United States of America against anybody, even if the United States is under military occupancy, it doesn't really have this jurisdiction as a realm of law, jurisdiction of law. 
It is an interpretation of international and our own laws and policies on war. That's the yeah, big understanding. Humanitarian lawfare. Right. So when he says that the military or the constitution has been suspended and we're now under the law of war, this is just logically, legally, completely insanity, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we have that aspect of it, the law of war. So this completely breaks down his theory. Well, now he's saying, you know, Don, Donald J. Trump on the escalator, 2015. Do you, do you know what that's about? Uh, just that the law of war manual was updated, and three days later that mm. Trump came down the escalator and announced his presidency. That's what that's the argument. But there's nothing nothing to justify the link between the two. It just makes no sense. Speculation at best. So Military Justice Act of 2016. Where, where, where does he go with this in the sense of bringing this into his <clears throat> So the Military Justice Act of 2016 was signed, signed is what he says, uh, three days before his presidency. Or, you know, so that was that was done. They did a review because in, it hadn't been reviewed since the 19th since World War Two. Yeah. For goodness sakes. You know, and so, you know, times have changed. There's certain things that have to be done when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, the, the justice piece of the military has had a huge different change and shift because of technology. And so it needed to they needed to re, redo it. And they were most likely redoing it not three days before Trump came to office, but probably years into the Barack Obama's second uh, second presidency. They probably started a year and a half, two years before this, redoing oh, right. it, going through it, gutting it out, getting it ready. And then they wanted to get it pushed through before Trump came in, sent it to Obama's desk. One more accomplishment for him. Right. They, they did it in 2016, and it was meant for fiscal year 2017. Right. So, but the, you know, the push, the push was there. They did congressional reviews in 2018, 2020. Uh, so there's been a lot of, a lot of different reviews about it, but you know, it, the, the thing is, is like department of justice, you know, it's like that branch, uh, that department within the judicial branch is supposed to carry out justice against those who commit crimes. It's the same thing with the military justice act. And that's for those who are service members within within the military who do minor misdemeanor and in felony offenses. Well, I've been and the captain three times. What's so that? I've been, the, I've been the non-judicial punishment three times. Well, in my my ten years in the Navy, yeah. I know all about the UCMJ. Okay, huh? and, and what we're talking about is Title Ten of the U.S. Code, and this is kind of where the UCMJ is. But I remember hearing Derek Johnson actually say that military law trumps. Constitutional law, civilian law. Yes, he does. He, he does say that. But Article 6 of the Constitution even states what's the supreme law of the land? The Constitution. The Constitution. The preamble to the Constitution states that the, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And here's the thing is our country was set up specifically specifically because you gotta for people out there and we're coming up the july 4th 1776 is when the declaration of independence came that's when we separated the 13 original colonies from the monarch king george we came under the articles of confederation during that time mm -hmm. the federalist system it wasn't until 1792 16 years after that we had the ratification of the united states constitution 
we had 16 years of tests and trials that brought about why we wanted the Constitution specifically that way. And it made sure that there was a system of checks and balances all the way down to the single individual person that basically represented the individual rights of that person, represented the constitutional republic that it was, as well as didn't allow any one singular person or branch of the government to take full power and to seize it with the military. Specifically, mm -hmm. that's why our Constitution was built this way. So exactly what devolutionists and, you know, continuity of government, Derek, they claim can't happen constitutionally. Now, they can come say the War Powers Act in the 1950s, PEDS, Presidential Emergency Action, all this stuff changed that and they, they got the authority. No, they don't. doesn't matter what a PEDS is or whether it's classified or non-classified. It cannot give the president any more power than he's granted through the Constitution. Don't get, don't get me wrong. They will try to. And in the advent of a national emergency, they will try to. And they'll be smacked down by Congress because we have a system of checks and balances. And we've even seen this in the past. Well, those, those PEDs that come out, you know, uh, any PED that comes out has to, if they ever use one, it has to go before Congress. You know, there's no way that he's going to say, let's use it. And, and, and nobody knows about it. it. Like if a PED is ever used, everybody in this entire nation will know that a PED's been used. Because it's that massive of a scale of an emergency that everybody will already know. That's exactly it. And we had Directive 51, which came out. Uh, this is the National Security and Homeland Security Presidential Directive, NSPD 51, um, and HSPD 50, uh, or H HSPD 20. And, and this was one of the ones that came out in the mid-2000s and caused a lot of controversy. 2007. 2007. That's right. And then the one that superseded that was PPD 40. In uh, you know, so PPD 40 came out, I believe, in 2014 timeframe. Yep. And so that was under Barack Obama. And then PPD 40, the fruits of PPD 40 was one, the national continuity policy, uh, the national response framework, FCD one and FCD two. Uh, when it when it was uh, redone at that that point in time also. So there's been three updates to the FCDs to the federal continuity directives. Yeah. All right. So a few things that we have, and and I want everybody in the audience to kind of understand what we're trying to do here. We're trying to set a precedent of how laws, rules, these types of things work because disinformation, misinformation is very, very real. And there is a level of psychological warfare and information warfare that is going on right now in the MAGA community. And I'm telling you that the, the, the future of the United States of America is at risk for what is happening. And if these people are allowed to continue to perpetuate this false narrative, which basically makes people docile and not care about their country and believe someone else is going to come save them. We're in for a very, very long haul as Americans. And this is going to be a very, very hard uphill battle. And I think that this is why this is so critically important. So we, we have different aspects of this. Uh, you know, Derek's going in there. He's talking about all of these uh, military justice act, uh, title 10, how this trumps regular law. Uh, firstly, the UCMJ Title 10 does not trump regular law. It's under the U.S. Code, uh, which falls under the jurisdiction of the Constitution. There's it's a system of checks and balances. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, we have the peds that have to go before Congress and Supreme Court before any authentication or um, expression of those peds actually come into power. Congress has requested to review those peds from time to time and have been denied, right? Have been there denied. Even shows how they've been denied. And, but here's the thing is yeah, there's a few congressmen who are senators who have been involved in them, but they are only brought out in times when they are needed through the emergency powers. Okay. This doesn't mean that Donald Trump as president can go out there, initiate a peed secretly without Congress, without the Supreme courts reviewing it and say, Hey, we're under attack and they've taken over all of our government. Uh, we're implementing this right now. We're in a belligerent occupation. Suspend the Constitution. I'm commander. You cannot do that legally, lawfully. There, there's no system even in process involved in our government that allows that to happen. You know what that sounds like? They're painting Trump as uh, King George III when we separated from uh, Great Britain to begin with. Yeah. It's like they're trying to make him that big of a tyrant. And paint him and say everything that's currently going on is his fault. And so, therefore, we need to destroy the Constitution and everything that it's set up because he's worked within these laws and orders to do this. And that's how bad the Constitution is. Therefore, we need to destroy it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's that's how these guys are coming out and saying it. Well, it, it, especially this part, and this is the one thing that's always got me, is why the secret? I mean, if they have corporate controlled control of the corporation okay if the deep state has control of the corporation i mean they've thrown everything but the kitchen sink at donald trump they come at him from all angles if this was true don't you think they would be exploiting this to their benefit oh by the way donald trump has seized the military and he now has the united states under his military control and you guys are under this constitutional rule we need to have the rule of law reestablished, and we need control back of the military this would be the first point that the deep state Congress would be doing against Donald Trump if that were true. Right. Well, and it's funny because then they say, well, he's a wartime president. Well, freaky, you know, I'm a, I'm a war era, Gulf war era veteran. I never deployed, you know, even though I wanted to, I volunteered every year, but I never got to deploy. The closest I got was Korea, you know, and that was at the DMZ every other week. And, but the thing is, is you go to the VA and you do that, you get a your VA disability rating. Guess what it says right there? You are a veteran of the Gulf War era. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm a wartime veteran in a way. Well, you see the same thing with those that uh, never served in Vietnam or, or Korean War or anything. They're of that era of uh, veterans. So, so there's also something else here that, that I think that needs correction for these people is that when we talk about executive orders, now Derek, Derek Johnson and uh, other people have said that executive orders are law. They're, they're anything but law. The only Through the United States Constitution, the only people who can put law into effect is Congress. Congress is the only one that can provide legislation. It has to go through a review process and sign into power by the president. Executive orders are not law. We know this for a fact because in Justice Roberts' decision on DACA when Trump sued Barack Obama trying to basically undo what Obama did, Chief Justice said, you actually can't. It's already been done. It was executive policy that they administered down through the Department of Homeland Security. You can't undo it. You can go out there and revoke it. You can revise it. 
or you can have Congress pass a law and make it permanent. Mm -hmm. But it's executive policy. What does that mean? Is that all of these departments, uh, you know, FBI, DHS, all of this falls underneath the executive branch, falls under the power and authority of the president. He makes policy, basically a CEO coming down and saying, hey, this is how we're going to treat border crossings. This is how we're going to treat the investigations in the felons. And he can make those policies as long as they are not too far outside of written law. Okay, so there is written law, though, especially when it comes to emergencies. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's two, two acts that need to be uh, established here. One is the Stafford Act. Okay. Yep. And the other is the National Emergency Act. And under those two, two things, uh, the president does have power in order to declare a national emergency. Under the, the Stafford Act, though, uh, normally when they use that is it's when it's under uh, direct request from the governor. Mm -hmm. right? So the governor does it. The other way is if a critical infrastructure, a key resource within the United States is threatened because it's a federal resource. Then, then, then the then the president has the ability to call a na to use the National Emergency Act and the Stafford Act to to um, to declare a national emergency. Uh, he brings up EO one three eight four eight, right? Okay. So I'm not sure if you have that. But what what is it again? EO EO one three eight four eight, and this actually. The very introduction tells you exactly what this is and, and what authority he's using uh, for this. And he says that EO13848, you know. Uh, this is imposing certain sanctions in the event of foreign interference in the United States. Uh, so so look, look, at what, look at what they're using, though. What authority here is he saying? By the authority vested in me. President, by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America. Okay, so so there are laws that are enacted that gives him this ability, That's including right. the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, the EPA. Yep. That EPA is is one of the subsections within the National Emergency Act. The next piece right there yep. of the 50 U.S. Code 1601 uh, National Emergency Act, and it gives a section for EPA 212 F of the Immigration and National. Uh, and then it says, and then also the other author, uh, authority that he has is the Immigration and National and Nationality Act of 1952. And he gives us sections of that within uh, within the National Emergency Act. Mm -hmm. so that right there tells you how he's declaring this, that it's under a National Emergency Act. But what is it imposing? Right. Is it imposing uh, military to get involved or is it imposing sanctions, certain sanctions, on people that are uh, in in line with foreign entities. Right, and he even calls up other executive orders in this. Now, one of the interesting things about this one specifically, imposing certain sanctions in the event of foreign interference in the United States election, is Derek used to have up on his documents to, uh, info, and I don't know if he has it up anymore because he's changed the formatting, is that Trump made this go into effect on the day of the election in November 2020. This goes into effect on that day. And, and I'm sitting there going, this was 2018, and there was multiple other elections that happened before this. 
in in November 2020 is not mentioned anywhere in any of this. So I just found it comical that I mean, he goes, go read it for yourself. I'm like, yeah, we did. It, it's not in here, man. Um, okay, so this executive order specifically gives Trump basically the powers granted to him by the Constitution and by Congress. And the National Emergency Act. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun with the power that he has taken, no, that he has basically expressed. He, I, I, these same things from 19, 1978 until now, there's 31, I believe 31 national emergencies that are currently, currently going right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are sanctions to different countries around the world under this, under this same EPA. Well, and this is where it gets interesting because if you follow devolution, if you follow these things, you know, Derek will claim that through the, these executive orders, when Trump declared the national emergency, this is how he sees the power and why he's still commander in chief. Okay. So he's talking about Proclamation 9994. Okay. EO 13912 of federalizing the National Guard and IRR. Okay. So that's that's the one that he's talking about. Uh, I've kind of squashed that and showed on my on my website about this. But that EO, it was initiated on March 27, 2020, right, because of the national emergency that was declared under Proclamation 9994. And Proclamation 9994 uh, was for the actual COVID-19. Right. And so... When you get when you look at the national response framework, and this is where people just don't understand the national response fra framework on uh, uh, the public health care system. If you go up to the top, it tells you under the National Emergency Act that he that he's using this that first that first paragraph, right there. Right. Uh, and he he says that because it's affecting the emergency support function number eight under public health that he's that he's able to declare this a national emergency because it does affect every single person and and federal uh, federal uh, personnel in this manner mm -hmm. and so because of that he is allowed to declare under the Pe personal health service act 42 united states code to declare this an emergency okay and so when when it's funny because he says it's under uh, under section one three uh, one two three oh two of the title 10 uh, and he brings up hey it says title 10 well that executive order what that does is it says yeah we're going to bring these people onto the national uh, the, from the national guard and IRR from the reserves they're going to come active duty it cannot exceed one million personnel right yep. but with that the jurisdiction, it, the full authority for that is the Secretary of State. And then on top of that, the, the Secretary of State and, the, and the, uh, the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, or sorry, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Homeland Security, they have to work, it, it says in the actual EO, it says, we'll ensure appropriate consultation in undertaking with relevant state officials with respect to the utilization of National Guard Reserve Components units activated under this authority. Right. And so they're not going to take 
away from the states if they don't have to. Right. Any type of federal response and any type of emergency that's at, that starts at a local level ends at the local level, right? Exactly. And I believe it also says that their term cannot exceed 24 months or something like that. 24 months. Yeah. Right. So if they were activated in 2020, that means 2022, they're out of there. If they were activated in 2021, in 2023, they're out right. of there. But there's also another part of this that Derek doesn't even bother to contemplate, is if they just got back from a 12-month deployment and then this comes up, they could only be activated for 12 months for their to full term of 24 months. Yep, for so, consecutive months. That's right. So, and so when he talks about their orders were never canceled going into Washington, D.C. on inauguration day and all this. I it, wonder why. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's all garbage because within the executive order, he claims, he says specifically uh, within these orders that they cannot be deployed longer than 24 months. No. And that they don't even have to call them up if they don't need them. And it, not, says it, it says it's to be uh, consistent with applicable law. Right. Right there in the in the EO. And the, the thing is, and then you tell me, okay, because this is how I read it. And I'm pretty sure other people may see it this way or may see it a little differently. But under uh, the 50 USC 1621 and 1622, okay, that's the chapter that of, of the national emergency that they're using here, okay, is that there's two ways to terminate a national emergency. One, it's declared by the president, and it doesn't matter if it's the president who does uh, who initiated it. It can be any president that's current. So president in law, in the Constitution, in executive orders, impedes is an arbitrary term representing the president in term of office, not the one who initiated the PED, the executive order. Another right. thing for people to know. And then the second one, the, the second piece of that is Congress has the ability under a joint resolution to end a national emergency. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me show you something, if you don't mind. Oh, right ahead. Um, get it to it. Here we go. Uh, how do I do this now? You can uh, right below. You're going to see the computer yeah. icon. Share window. Share. Okay. So this is public law. Yep. 118-3. So we know this is 118th Congress. Yep. And it was on April 10 of 2023. Okay. He said, he said, well, the, the, the public records doesn't show a, 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 a signature of the, of the president who ended this emergency. The president didn't end the emergency. Congress did under a joint resolution right here. Resolved by the Senate and the House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled. Mm -hmm. the, that pursuant to Section 202 of the National Emergency Act, the national emergency declared by the findings of the president on March 13, 2020, in Proclamation 9994, which is COVID, is hereby terminated. 
And isn't that the executive order that he's saying gives Trump the military power? Yeah. Um, so actually, it, it was terminated. It, yeah. it's, it is terminated. I can show you uh, within the federal register that. that right. he, now, for everybody out there, Congress has delegated 136 distinct statutory emergency powers to the president, each available upon the declaration of an emergency. Only 13 of these are require a declaration from Congress. The remaining 123 are assumed by an executive declaration with no further congressional input. And these are exactly what we're kind of seeing here. But certain ones do require this. Exactly, specifically, especially when it has an expansion of resources and money. This is where Congress wants to get involved. I'm going to get, I'm, I just sent you a, a link, and this is the actual link to it. And this is section 1621. Yep. Okay, and in 1621, up there, uh, up on that first paragraph, it tells the authority of who can, t of who can uh, do this and respect, it respects the acts of Congress, right, that authorized during this national emergency and that. And it says here in paragraph B, any person of law conferring powers and authorities to be exercised during a national emergency shall be effective and remain in effect until what? Only when the president specif specifically declares a national emergency and two, only in accordance with this chapter. No law enacted after this time period shall supersede this subchapter unless it does so in specific terms referring to the sub. sub uh, chapter. Now, this Federal Register, if you want to look at it, right there, the very first statutory notes and related subsidiaries is the actual public law that terminates COVID. And it says Pub L 118 3. Click that. Okay, so which one are we clicking? Uh, Pub so, L yep, okay. No, not right there. It's, it's what do you see where it says statutory notes and related subsidiaries? Um, statutory. Yep. And related. Okay. This one right okay. here. And right there, it says public law. That's the actual law showing what I just showed. Okay. And, and we go in there and there it is right there. And there it is. And so this, this is showing how the, this joint resolution ended that national emergency. When they end a national emergency, it's saying that all authority that, that the federal response did under emergency support function number eight. Yep is declared over as a federal response. And so it now goes back to the states and the states are now the overseers of what they're gonna end up doing. That's why in some of these states, you still see maybe some sort of uh, COVID stuff of, hey, we are asking you you stay six feet apart. We do recommend that you right. have, have these masks on in these different states because that's how, they're, that's how it's enacted. It's enacted that the governor ends up doing it and it's really up to them whether or not they want to continue the emergency or just end it because it's ended from a joint resolution. You know? Right. So, and with that, that order, that EO 13912, it's terminated as with that, uh, with that uh, joint resolution. Yep. And so, and this is what I was talking about a little while ago is uh, this is my sub stack where I was talking about this. This was Derek's claim from his documents out info declared maritime law. He specifically put the date of November 3rd, 2020 as the activation date of maritime law on September 12th, 2018. If there's no such thing as voter fraud, which first became a topic of the news in December, 2020, then how did the president Trump know to put the specific date of November 3rd, 2020 inside the September 18th executive order? And he goes military Intel. 
And he goes, do you wonder why the shortage is everywhere? Maritime law equals the law of the water. Maritime law is why no foreign goods will enter the United States as specified under 13848 order. Hence why the ships are guarded. This is during COVID when we had the debacle at the ports. And he was saying this is because of this executive order. Then he goes, executive orders equal automatic law. All it takes is a little reading. Admiralty maritime law explained. Now, what's interesting is, well, he goes on to here and tells all this. And so I break it down for him. And there was declared martial law or maritime law doesn't even make sense. You don't declare maritime law. Maritime law is a set of laws, which according to the Coast Guard, maritime law consists of substantiated rules created by federal courts referred to as general maritime law, which do not arise from the Constitution or legislation of the U.S. However, the federal court's power to create these rules does arise from the Constitution's grant admiralty jurisdiction. There's that reference right there. How did President Trump know to put that date in there? The, this date is not mentioned anywhere in the executive order. Anywhere. And, and there's elections that happen after this. And then, obviously, he never went and corrected it. Actually, what he did, you know what he did? He went in and deleted all this old stuff that he was wrong about and put new stuff in there. <laughs> What's funny is that uh, EO13848 is there were certain times... He says that November 3rd, right, because of the election interference mm -hmm. that was going on, that DNI Radcliffe would go in and within 45 days he would do this, uh, you know, because it is spelled out like that in the in the EO. But the right. EO was never used. It was in place to use it, but they never used it. Very true. And, and so he, he also talks about uh, this part, and, and he goes uh, – the Election Fraud Committee and Secretary of State, President Trump, specifically put the dates of activation in which they would report. He's, uh, so I don't know if you saw this one, but uh, basically he was saying 45 days after November 3rd, which he had the wrong date in there. So he said 45 days after November 3rd, which is January 5th, 2021, and 45 days after that, which is three, uh, March 3rd, 2021 context. You did your math wrong. 45 days after Election Day is actually December 18th. 2020. Uh -huh. It actually makes sense since the states certify their election results on the 11th of December and then are sent to the governor for verification, which gives them seven days. This is done before being sent to Congress, which verifies the electors on January 6th. Right. I mean, this is from his website, and, and I think he deleted all this stuff. And that extra 45 days was for DNI to be able to, you know, for Ratcliffe to end up right. giving it to the president, but Trump lost the election. So they, from that point forward, what, what do you do with that executive order? Like, there's nothing. You know, Pence didn't do what he was supposed to do. And that was send him back to the states and have them slate up the correct, uh, the correct uh, elector book, uh, electoral book, because they, they slated two. And so that should have been sent back to the states, but they didn't even do that. So, so we're in the situation we're in because of that. Right. Exactly. Because Congress didn't do their job. Um, so federal continuity directives, what is he talking about here with these federal continuity directives? So federal continuity directives, FCD1 and FCD2, um, this is a very interesting uh, because they're, they're continuity. So right. what does continuity mean? Continuation. It means a continuation. And now it's the federal continuity directive – so this pertains to the federal. If you go down, uh, if you go down to the table of contents, this table of contents is extremely important. Like it tells you everything that's that's in there. 
They look at bullet because uh, they they'll tell you this. They'll, they'll bring up well. Look at annex annex I. Right. It says devolution. devolution. Therefore, devolution is real. I know it's real. I know it's a top secret thing, right? And they say this is a military top secret military operation. Now, this is where Derek Johnson took what uh, what John Harold was doing, and and this is where he got that information from. Was actually the devolution series. Because uh, he talks about the exact same thing. It's a military coup. It's a military operation, mm-hmm. and he he puts a date on there. But if you look at that uh, now, this isn't this isn't me putting any type of uh, uh, magic pill here. Okay, click on continuity capability element. That bullet seven. The bullet seven. The bullet right seven. Yep. This is the continuity capability forty. Yep. So in the continuity capability elements, it says it's going to outline the continuity requirements. Now, these are, these are the plans that deal with catastrophic emergencies. Okay, this is where you have to go into section or annex N to understand what those uh, definitions are, right? A catastrophic emergency is natural or man-made. Right. Right, so it's talking about any a, a catastrophic emergency also deals with uh, it, it deals with mass casualty care. Okay, so these are the continuity elements here. So, so on A, A, B, C, right? If you look there on program management plans and procedures in italics at the end, it says C Annex A for the specific information and requirements for it. Yep. Okay, same thing. Essential functions in B. That right there says see Annex B. So you go into Annex B to understand what you have to do. This is where this part here in Annex B is the Federal Continuity Directive 2. It helps identify what the essential functions, mission essential functions, primary essential functions are in order to, uh, to, uh, to sustain the national emergency functions of what the executive branch does. Right. So then you have orders of succession, and it says C Annex C. Annex G says alternate uh, alternate location in bullet uh, in bullet G. Okay. Yep, right here. And and it's two paragraphs long, and this is risk analysis that they're doing within uh, doing. And so FCD two is nothing about it, it talks about this risk analysis that they have to do. Now go down to paragraph. I, or bullet I. Yep, There's bullet devolution. I. And then the one below it is reconstitution. What is devolution? Is it a continuity capability element, or is it a plan unto itself? It's an element. It's an element. Uh, go to page, uh, I believe it's page 27. That's Annex G. So one second here. I'm probably boring your audience. No, no I, I'm a nerd. I'm nerding out. I love this. 
because here's the thing is th this helps people understand information, not only understand the information, but when someone says something, people now know kind of where to go. Look, they can go back to this video. They can see, oh, I, I need to go to this. When people are talking about devolution, let me check that against the actual documents. And now they know where to go and they know how to read these things. They understand. And this is what we and you were talking about is we have people that weren't in the government very long or were never in government trying to interpret how the government's operating from their own documents. Right. You are going to go crazy trying to do that. Uh-huh. And having somebody else tell you, like, he's a freaking barracks lawyer. That's what Derek Johnson is. He, heard, he hears stuff from the barracks and he tells what army regulations are and he uh -huh. spews them out. And then, and then he has absolutely no no bite to what he's spewing out at all. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? You mentioned 20 different EOs, but you don't ever go into any of them. Well, he doesn't want to open them up because he knows he's wrong now. Because he knows he's wrong. And whenever he says, I'm going to do a deep dive into this, he spends three and a half hours talking in circles. Yep. You know, it's uh, page uh, page 55 in the annex. And so is, definitions? These are the definitions. Okay. So alternate location, it tells you what it is. Now, catastrophic emergency. Look at what a catastrophic emergency is because the FCD 1 and 2 is a replacement of the HSPD 20 and NSPD 51, yep. right? So catastrophic emergency, any event, regardless of location, that results in extraordinary levels of mass casualty, damage, or disruption severely affecting the U.S. population, infrastructure, environmental, economy, or government functions. Right. Now go down to devolution. Scroll down to devolution. Devolution, the transfer of statutory authority and responsibility from an organization's primary operating staff and facilities to other staff and alternate locations to sustain essential functions when necessary. Now, I want to point this out because here's the thing, is it doesn't say that this power becomes vested in the military, this power becomes vested in one single person. What it's saying is that there's already counterparts identified for the secession of those powers at various locations who know their line in secession for those specific tasks. So go ahead and explain. Sorry. So, you know, that's, it brings up a good question because uh, a lot of people don't understand this is, you know, how is the military involved? You know, because mm -hmm. it, it's a question like, can the military truly be involved in emergency uh, response in, in this national response framework? Absolutely, they can be in, involved in it. But guess what? They are not they are not uh, known as uh, the number. They're, they're not the lead role. OK, these are what's known as the emergency support functions. This right here is uh, PPD 40. Okay. okay, so PPD 40, uh, they, all of this is the national response framework, and it, it, it gives 15 different uh, emergency support functions within that. Like, click on transportation, okay, and you're going to have to refresh your screen. Yeah. Oh, no, it went in. That's oh, good. good. Uh, so if you look at this, it gives the ESF coordinator, which is the Department of Transportation, and a primary agency. Mm -hmm. Right. These are the people that are taking a lead role. OK, so the primary agency is the Department of Transportation. They're the ones who are doing this lead role. And so if you look at the support agencies, 
you can see that it's the executive branch. In one of that, it does show the Department of Defense. And so this is where the National Emergency Acts take place, because when those are used, any type of resources that the governors need under an EMAC request, the federal government will send. And so if there's transportation, like a bridge that went down, like the one in Philadelphia, guess, guess who was helping build that bridge? Military. The military, under which uh, which branch of the military, which section of the military? Army Corps of Engineers, just like Army what Corps happened during Katrina. Yeah, gold, if you scroll down, I think it's going to be page five. You have you have right there the Department of Defense. Yep, okay, right so this is this is their this is what they do. And if you look at it, it's saying that it provides military transportation capacity of the U.S. Transportation Command, right? But the second one is provides uh, assets, right? And then it tells you what the Army Corps of Engineers are going to do. They provide support. Right. So that's what they're doing. They're in consultation with the Department of Transportation what they need. And so if they need manpower in order to put up a bridge, they're going to give manpower in order to do it. Equipment, they're going to do it, but they don't take over, and that it's augmented like that so that there's these checks and balances so the military doesn't take over the state because it's the state's job, it's not the military's. And so, this is an example of devolution. This is it, could be depending, you know, but it's more the national response framework. Right. Uh, a devolution example would be if a fire department were to be destroyed. Right. You know, just think of that, the irony, right? Well, where would they be able to work from in order to make their, in, in before that building is able to be operational again? They would have to have uh, memorandums of understanding with, with aid agreements from other different places or have a different facility separated whether it's a hot site, which means it's fully capable of doing it, uh, a warm site where it has it has stuff but doesn't have stuff, and then a cold site, which means it's like a warehouse in the middle of nowhere, and they have to work out of that place and get it up and running within the next uh, 36 hours, right? So, so the, the hypothetical scenario then is if something happened in Washington, D.C., a mass casualty, an attack by an enemy, Okay, to where Washington, D.C. could no longer function the way it needed to function, then devolution would begin to incur. Correct. And from this, we don't know where the second White House is going to be. We know a few of these areas, but we don't know necessarily where the, if it's an attack on this country, the White House. Where is the White House going to devolve to? Those come in under presidential emergency action documents, the classified versions. This is when some of those come out and begin to get implemented in the sense of devolving presidential power. Who do you power. devolve down to? Who do you devolve down to with the executive branch? Well, okay. that, that would go through the continuity of, of government's planning. So you go through continuity, you go through CogCon, you go through all these other different pieces that are there, right? But would you devolve? All three branches of the government and put it under one head, one single head. God no, military, especially under attack. No, we have infrastructure within this country that allows for the states to be independent and sovereign from the federal government. 
And so what they'll do is they'll devolve down to the state levels and let the state executive, legislative, and, and judicial take over until, one, we have elections because uh, House of Representatives can be immediate. And then from there, you know, this is why I don't like the 17th Amendment, because our House of Representatives at our state level, they should be the ones uh, electing our, our representatives our so that they can yeah. hold the Senate accountable. Right. And they did that to take it completely away. But, you know, for this uh, in, in that type of situation, that's what I would love to see is this, is our House representatives at the state level is to then uh, appoint as an interim for Senate for senators so that we can we can then elect our president and vice president. So in an emergency situation, that would be the best way to do it. But uh, as far as within the national, uh, as far as within a devolution, it will go down to the state level. It wouldn't go to military. So, so hypothetically speaking, then, if there was an invasion into this country, Congress was compromised, various aspects of government was compromised, the deep state situation, and Donald Trump wanted to basically implement continuity of government, and he wanted to go out there and produce devolution, then it would devolve down to the states. It wouldn't devolve to the military. You can't devolve it down to one single authority. Well, now you're talking about an armed conflict scenario. Mm -hmm. And so with armed conflict, that's when the law of war would come in. And yes, they could at that point put in a martial law in different different things like that. But we are not in that type of situation. And how would we know if we were in that situation? Armed conflict. We don't have we don't have guns going off. Right. We don't have military. We don't have the UN. We don't have China here. We don't have Russia here. There's no armed conflict. But the but the, the argument that they make is that it's a silent coup from our own people, right? So who who elects who elects our government? Right. The government is, you know, we, who do we elect? And this is what people don't understand with us being a constitutional republic. Our power and our right and our duty is to elect our local leaders. Mm. And so our local leaders are then held accountable by us. I'm a precinct, uh, vice precinct chair. Okay. So I had my... Uh, my my house rep calls uh, called me and said, "Hey, if there's anything you guys need, let me know." I said, "Okay." So I send him a text message and I tell him, "Hey, we have an issue." And he goes, "What's the issue?" I said, "Well, the issue is in our area we don't have this road. It's been sitting dormant and unfinished for three years. What the heck's the problem here? We need to be able to get in and out on this road." And he goes, let me see what I can do. Within a month, they're out there doing construction on this road and getting it completed. And this, is, this just happened. So, uh, you, you know, it's that's our power. Our power is here in our local areas within our local elections. Our electors at the state level, according to Article 2, Section 2, or uh, Article 2, Section 1, Section 2, Subhead 2, whatever it is, the the president and vice president are elected by the electors, the electoral college. It's not done by us. Right. 
It's done by them. And that's that's the difference. Like, does it really matter at the federal level what's going on? Or do we have more power within our states? And, and each state has different requirements on the Electoral College within their constitutional framework of how those are specifically set up in the sense of how electors are selected. But primarily, they come about be from the various different two-party systems and votes within those two-party systems. I know Endeavor, I used to live in Colorado. In Colorado, specifically within their, their constitution, the state electors are chosen by the two dominant parties within that state. And it's, um, yeah, it's done by the two dominant parties within that state of who wins the majority um, gets to choose the electors. And so you have two sets of electors that come out there. How did, how did uh, Trump win the 2016 election? Then? Because Hillary Clinton had the uh, majority vote. It was done by the Electoral College, period. Right, and no, that's what I'm saying. This, this is the Electoral was, College in Colorado is ran that way. Right, and there was, there was electors who actually were voted out because of the fact that they went against the popular vote. That's right. And many people forget that too. And so, but it, but it is our, and that's the power of the local government. The local involvement impacts the national level. So we have to get involved at our level within our local agencies in order to hold our electors as well as others accountable, because that's where, that's where our freedoms are. So, Wrapping up on this, because this has been, I mean, we're, we're an hour and 20 minutes in. This has been fantastic. Well, a little over an hour and sorry, an hour and 10 minutes in. This has been a, a one heck of a conversation because we've actually shown in a very, very easy to pass through scenario for everybody out there, the documents, how to look at them, how to read them, where you can find them and how it shows that this, there is no military occupation. Trump isn't commander-in-chief. There is no devolution process that is ongoing. We have a Joe Biden White House. We have the deep state operating through the White House. We have proxy wars in Ukraine. This stuff is very, very real. It is happening. Our country is in danger. It is in a dire position. They are throwing everything but the kitchen sink at Donald Trump, trying to take him out. They've given him warnings. They do not want him to run. They are scared to hell of this man. We are on the verge of nuclear war. And all this stuff is very, very real. And I don't mean to be the bearer of doom and gloom. But that is just the truth and the facts. Because coups and elections have consequences. We know that the 2020 election was stolen. Okay, that's we understand that. But here's the thing. Is that we cannot have this false hope in this process that never happened. Or in this idea that something might be going on where the military is somehow in control and going to sneak out at the last moment and take out all the bad guys or taking them to military tribunals. Are, are you, are you familiar with Q? Oh yeah. So I, I used to be Q Patriot. So I, I, I started out. So can you go to uh, Q post one, three, four, three. Yep. And just pull that up because this shows you what these people are truly doing. It is. One, it is psyops of what's going on here. Absolutely. Brought it up. There we go. 1343. March, May 2nd, 2018. They attempted to infiltrate, repackage, and rebrand as their own profit vehicle, destroyed through misinformation, absorb the confused, reroute traffic to other platforms. Action was needed. 
prevent false decodes and misinformation, kill targeted infection prior to expansion, simple non-direct statements made, be careful who you follow. Oh, that's important. Some are profiting <laughs> from this movement. There you go. Message sent, message received. Those guilty immediately reacted predictably. Timeable, accelerated misinformation attack. Exposed, attempted to divide. We responded. House cleaning, heal core. Important to clean prior to next events. The choice has always been yours. The choice will always be yours. This is not. Do you, do you see that? Now that's that's what I love because this is this is the Q message that I absolutely absolutely one hundred percent. Because where does the power reside? You within is the, the military the only way? Nope. No. Disinformation is necessary. We are. Disinformation was necessary to weed out all of this. You are always, this is exactly what I've been telling my audience for years. It has always been about us. And it's not a popularity contest. And that's one of the things that uh, Derek Johnson will pull out is he'll say, well, I have 600,000 uh, followers and blah, blah, blah. You know, he's a yep. popularity high school boy. I don't care about him. You know, I'm not known. Do you think I really care? Like I, I'm, I sit in the background half the time, and people call me. You call me a lot of stuff. This is the very first real interview that I've done, you know, except for my own stuff. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I sit there in the background, and I don't care if people take my stuff and use it. I don't care how many people I have following me. I really I love don't. That. It's about the truth. You know, it's all about the truth leadership in the military what what does that mean you know to be loyal what does it mean to be to uh to have discipline respect you know selfless service yeah honor integrity you know all of these things are part of who we are in the military and they're extremely important but this guy has none of that he doesn't care about any of it all he cares about is how many followers he has and how much he's getting in his pocket. I can actually say that you're absolutely correct. And I can tell you from people I know who've given me plenty of feedback on how much he makes and how much a lot of these people make of who they're talking to in the backdrop. You know, you notice one thing that Derek is doing is he goes to Mar-a-Lago and he'll wait for Trump to come in for lunch and he'll sit at a table across from him and he'll take pictures and selfies or, you know, he will take, oh. he'll, he'll get his picture taken. He's saying that he's collaborating with Trump and all this. Oh, I got to tell you something. <laughs> this is hilarious. So he talks about how he was invited. Yeah. You realize that Ziggy and Jexit paid for him to go to Mar-a-Lago for a birthday present. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then uh, he was supposed to go to Israel. He didn't go to Israel. Now Ziggy came out and said that yeah she did pay pay for she did pay for it you know <laughs> and uh, it, it's crazy because he went on a little rant today about it and on that rant uh, on on uh, Telegram uh, he goes and he goes and he talks about how how um, Mar-a-Lago and the golf clubs are are uh, are not an invite but a paid membership private membership only and so he kind of rats himself out there uh, saying how he, somebody paid his membership it was hilarious you got i mean and this is what's going on and here's the thing is he could pay his own membership because he's making that much money but he had ziggy do it yeah it, it, well in 
I don't, for me, it's not about the money. I have, a, I have a great following. I have a great audience. My audience has at least tried to follow me since I started and I've lost them three times, came back. I've lost of other people because of some of my views and you know what? It happens. And, and here's the thing is, you know, I, it's not about money with my audience. We're a family. We call ourselves the Red Pill family. We have a private social media network that we utilize to communicate. We talk on Zoom all the time. We do Q&As. We're doing a Q&A tonight. We're doing a Zoom Q&A tonight right after this show. Socialredpill.com for everybody yeah. out there. But there it is. Sorry. Let me yeah, show no, you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, go ahead and share it, and we'll play yeah. it. But, you know, this is about the truth, and, and my audience understands that this is about the truth. So this is, this is the picture right here. Yep. And right below, Siggy.flicker. Best birthday breakfast I could have given my friend Derek Johnson. Hope it was worth the trip down from Alabama. She paid him to go to Mar-a-Lago. Yep. So, you know, and, and that, that's just how it is. You know, uh, here's another another one here saying how, you know, this, uh, how Michelle, who's uh, part of Ziggy's team, Oh, he's not part of the Trump team. <laughs> you know? So here it is. Photo below. It's just, it, it's crazy stuff. Like uh, how he comes up saying that he's invited when he wasn't invited. It, right. I, I just don't get it. Uh, how do I X out of that? There we go. Sorry. That's my rant. <laughs> Well, no, and it's a good rant, and, and it's well noted because, you know, like Q said, the choice has always been yours. The choice will always be yours. This is not a game. This is not a popularity contest. This is life, freedom, together. We the people, where we go, when we go all, time to move on, dark the light. Attacks will only get worse. Truth is freedom. Truth is logic. Stay the course. And it's been there all along. This is what this message is the message that we've been talking about. I mean, I lost a lot of people when I said, you know, look. This was the military plan, and I showed what the military plan was. This was an intelligence operation back in the early 2000s to gather information on who the fuck the deep state was. They got ousted between 2012 to 2016. You have Snowden. You have the leaks that were going to Michael Hastings. You have Andrew Breitbart. You have the 128 generals that were ejected. And this is when they fell into not a level of desperation, but a last hope offense. We have Admiral Rogers. Um, we have Jeff Sessions tipping off Christopher Sign in Arizona, in Phoenix, to go to the Lynch-Clinton meeting on the tarmac, right? Christopher Sign was a Fox News affiliate who was tipped off by, in his biography, he says, I was tipped off by S, an intelligence uh, professional in Washington, D.C. Uh, interesting enough that Jeff Sessions went to the University of Alabama, was in the same, um, uh, the same fraternity as Christopher Sign was, who was a D1 football player at the University of Alabama. So there you go, S, Intelligence, Sessions. Tips off Christopher Sign. He goes there. NSA records the conversations, removes it from the log. Rogers uses that to basically target Comey three days before the election in 2016, tell him to open up the Clinton email investigation again. Comey does that. That was the threat that they held over their head to not steal the election from Donald Trump and to stop interfering. And that's what got Donald Trump in. They said, if they don't do it, there's gonna we'll, we'll go in with the military. And so this is kind of what people have to understand is that that's where that military operation ends. Now it becomes an information operation that we have to take back the idea of information. We have to weed out 
all this shit of psychological warfare and disinformation that is propagating out there that is trying to make you apathetic, that is trying to make you docile, is it trying to stop you from doing what actually needs to be done? Mm-hmm. No kidding. <clears throat> it's just, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. What, I, what I would really say, especially when he, when, when these people they start bringing up saying, you know, read the documents. Yeah, go to the documents, understand them yourself. Exactly. You, you need to read these documents yourself. And, and so we actually, you know, we have a, a motto here at the Red Pill Project. And, and it's simply this, is never believe anything anybody tells you, no matter who they are or what authority they possess or profess, unless you can prove it through your own research, investigation, inquiring through your own research. I mean, the, in, I, I just sent you my my uh, web uh, my Substack there. Okay, that's uh, the Substack. You know, I, whoever wants to follow, whatever, I don't care. But uh, everything that's on there is is uh, one. You know, the 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 articles they're 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 my opinion as far as uh, me going into the documents. I'm reading the documents. I'm showing you what those are. Uh, if you guys want to verify it yourself, I put it in in the article so that you guys can look and see. That's what I would really suggest you to do. Go into the document, look at it, deduct from what uh, from what you've heard these these crazies say, and know for yourself whether or not these things are are true. Because without that knowledge, you're going to have no power to fight it. Right, and guys, I just posted all these links. So they're all out in the live chats. They'll be in the description box below. It's black sheep, seven.substack.com. Um, if you're listening on the audio podcast, black sheep, seven, the number seven dot substack.com. And you can also search for continuity planning, not devolution or law of war. He's got some great articles and videos up here. You can check out. Um, and we're definitely going to have Chris back. I mean, this is, I think he might become a regular on here talking about these types of things. And I'm going to try to get a uh, – so we have – Derek Johnson and myself have a mutual friend, Mark Atwood. And Mark's a good dude. And he's like, hey, let me moderate it. I'll, you guys can do a debate on my show. And so, you know, I said, I'll, I'll debate you, Derek. And this is what – that's when he blocked me on Twitter. Anytime you say you want to debate him, nope, blocked. I'll debate him using the, the law and orders that he brings up. Yeah. Well, and that's what that was my plan. Is. him on FCD one and two in the in in the uh, details of those because I'm pretty sure he doesn't have the the uh, cert- certificates and all the stuff that I have. Uh, you know, th- that's one of the other things that really makes me mad is is they say I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I have a master's degree. And what I'm talking about. And not just that. If you really want to look at it, look at my grades. Yeah. I got a 3.963. Okay. I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I believe you too. Yeah. And- but that's what these people are doing. Yep. They're believing these suckers and thinking that they know what they're talking about over actual legitimate people who have certifications in these that's what doesn't make sense to me well you know you know what it makes sense when you understand that they these so you don't know you're 
you can't determine the PSYOP when you don't know you're in it, right? I mean, that's really the case of the matter here, is these people are heavily, deeply ingrained within a PSYOP. And, and in no offense to whatever Q is or, or whoever started that, I got my own suspicions, I got my own evidence on it, but it, it derived from that. It is the counter-reaction to the whole Q movement. When that began to get infiltrated with bad actors, with people propagating bullshit, disinformation, you know, Simon Parks, I know Q, I had coffee with him, this is what he said. When all that stuff started to come out, that's what allowed this infiltration and this psychological warfare to be organized and perpetuated to where people believe I'm just going to sit back, watch my movie, throw my feet up, have my popcorn, and I'm going to wait for my fellow Americans or the EBS, emergency broadcast system, or anything else that comes about. You know, this is the problem. Is you know that what that does? It takes away lack of engagement on your end. That's right. We have to be the change. We have to make it. That's you know it. what else? You know what else Q says? Hmm. You are the saviors of mankind. Not some white hat. You. Yep. You're the saviors of mankind. Nobody else. Absolutely. Well, dude, this is awesome. Uh, we're going to have to come back and do a, a Q show. <laughs> I got like, a, there's a video I did out there called Q the Storm, where I go through all the history of it, Hillary Clinton's emails, everything integrated into it, pre-Q, Q, I, what Q really was, p- potential people involved in it, um, how I know that it was these people potentially, um, and, and why it happened and what it was for and why it's important now but not so much important that there has to be posts every day guiding people. Um, And so we should come back and do a a Q show. That'd be great. And, and even just talk more about, I think that we're going to have a lot of probably a lot of uh, DJ supporters and a lot of uh, uh, John uh, devolutionists, but that's okay. I'm not worried about it. Um, And I'll try to get that debate. And if I can get that debate, I'm going to invite you to it. If I can get that debate with Eric, you're going to be there with me because I think that it's going to be important for his audience to see not just two military people, but another veteran who also has a master's degree in emergency management. And, and under certificates. Yeah, and, and quite literally understands this stuff probably better than anybody else out in this yeah. truth movement other than here's people. My, here's my certificates if you guys want to see them. I'm sharing. Like right here, all of these. If you look, like – these are legitimate, uh, legitimate certificates. These are FEMA certs. So these are FEMA. Now, ICS 300 and 400, you know, uh, let me refresh that screen real quick. Yeah. Like these are, are uh, legitimate certificates that people just don't understand. Like you have to understand what these are. This is the intermediate ICS of expanding incidents. And this is going from small incidents to large incidents to even the federal response. So, and these are these are pretty hard to come by. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. But you know, I'm working towards my uh, level two practitioner uh, for continuity. So that's where I'm I'm working on that that certification, and then uh, hopefully uh, my. Um, uh, master's uh, certifications later on. Well, that's awesome, brother. Well, I'm glad I met you, and I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad you came on. I appreciate it. You're a wealth of information and knowledge on this, and you're absolutely 
spot on correct with everything that we've been saying here at, at the Red Pill Project. So th- this is what we've been arguing for a while. And it's great to find a professional who can really guide people through all the reasons of how this all this process unfolds. And to understand people is these people are wrong because they're not understanding the flow of the process of how these things all integrate together and all the various different powers that integrate into this and the levels of checks and balances that integrate into this. And by the way, if you guys want to follow Chris as well, you can find him on true social at Liberty for all. Oh, seven. And I'm going to go ahead and get a link out for that here in a second. And for everybody else uh, for out there, if you guys want to, what we're going to, what I'm going to be doing is we're going to be going to the social red pill. One second. Social Red Pill after chat here in about 30 minutes. You can join immediately right now if you want to in the Zoom. You just got to be a subscriber over on the socialredpill.com, $4.99 a month. Really easy to join. And we have the private Zoom Q&A tonight and then Fringe After Dark tomorrow night. Uh, and the Fringe information is, or the After Dark information is in the group section on the pinned feature section. You can find that info there. Um, and if you just join socialredpill.com, you need the link. You just message myself or any of the mods, and we'll get that link out to you. But, Chris, thank you so much for joining me tonight. We just put your Truth Social link out there, so that is out there. Uh, everybody out there, we're going to see you guys tomorrow night with an episode of Conversations on the Fringe, Dark Delight Show in the morning. Don't forget about that. Much love, respect, God bless. Hope you guys all learned something tonight. Take care. See you guys next time. Thank you, guys. Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace, or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign. And it is indeed brutal. And uh, they call me Patch McCain. <laughs> I, I think it's, I, I haven't, look. Frankly, uh, if you look at the media, where the media is a closed media, we don't have an open free media anymore. They don't want to hear anything. They don't write about it. It's a, it's collusive. It's uh, nobody's ever seen anything like it. It all happened during this period of time. It happened just before the election. They wouldn't talk about certain subjects that you know better than anybody, Michael. And uh, you know that's the beginning of communism.